0: Welcome to season nine of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our conversation, I would like to acknowledge the Darawa people, the traditional custodians on the land in which I'm recording and pay my respects to Elders past and present and emerging. We respect and honour Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Elders past, present and future and I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today it's my great pleasure to share a conversation that I recently had with the brilliant Tracy Ezard. Tracy is a former school leader and author of the amazing book, Ferocious Warmth. Ferocious Warmth leaders lead high performance and deep learning. They understand how to get the balance of achieving results while building a strong culture of trust, learning and psychological safety. Innovation, momentum and outcomes, leverage with empathy, compassion and trust. Leadership that is focused on both emotional and strategic intelligence that comes together as a dynamic force. Tracy works with leaders and their teams to create dynamic leadership and collaborative learning cultures that create new ways of working in a complex world. I hope that you get as much out of our conversation as I did. Please enjoy. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. I really appreciate it.
1: No worries, Matthew. And it is beautiful to see your face, even if other people can't, uh, oh. because I really love being able to see you when we're having these conversations. So we're having a chat, which is really nice at the start of the school year.
0: Yeah, it's lovely. It's um, uh, it's it, it definitely the school term has definitely started at quite a fast pace and so I'm kind of feeling it already uh, but it's it's really good to get back into it and really wonderful to uh, to get back into the classroom but um, Tracy quite possibly the most important question for our conversation what's your coffee order for when I can finally buy a coffee?
1: Mm, well I've got a bit uh, I, I do love a latte but I've got to tell you uh, I do love coffee from The Corner Store Network, which I'm lucky enough to be on the board of that, and it's a social enterprise that works around food preservation, food sustainability, Timor-Leste in here, and we import coffee, gets roasted up, and then gets sold, and then uh, we preserve foods for food bank. Amazing. We educate women in Timor, left, let's say, around food preservation. And Alice Ma, who's the CEO of that, I taught her in grade four wow. many years ago in Berkeley primary school and just am so lucky to be part of this enterprise now. And she's in her 30s. Uh, but she is leading this small but mighty little place. Uh, and I'd really reach out to everyone listening to the podcast. Check Absolutely. out the Corner Store Network and order your coffee from there.
0: Look, um, I'll make sure that I put the links to everything we talk about in the show notes. But it sounds like a really, a really wonderful cause. Um, is there something, Tracy, that's uh on your bucket list that you're still uh yet to tick off?
1: Oh, I've got lots. I reckon I've got a really big bucket list. But I, I think because I think that you know life is just a good bucket list, really, isn't it? Like how many. Great different experiences can you have. Absolutely. And while this sounds a little bit like eat, pray, love, <laughs> I uh-huh. would really love to go and have a little car and a bike and just live in little villages in the south of France and sort of spend a month, and six months, and, and spend a month here, month here, month there, bike all that, or cycle around the place, sit and write, talk to people, just experience just this... Uh-huh you know, beautiful French country lifestyle.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, from experience, the south of France is exceedingly beautiful. Um Absolutely. And uh, it's, it's well worth the trip. So I look forward to getting a postcard someday.
1: <laughs> no worries.
0: Um Is there a book that you've read uh, recently? It could be within your field of expertise or broad, more broadly uh, that has caused you to stop and reconsider a few things in your life?
1: Um, just recently, it's absolutely been stolen focus by Johan Hari. So, it, you know, okay. just blows me away. Uh, blow, yeah, yeah, incredible, isn't it? Uh, every page is like a showstopper about, oh, oh, yes, I do that. Oh, oh, no. And um,
0: I'm, I'm looking over at our bedside table now, and that book's on there. And I am yeah. about three quarters of the way through. And um, I believe that Stephen Fry wrote on the back of the book. Um, that there's been no other books that have caused him to stop and go, yes, absolutely. And yes. I feel exactly the same. Like that is an incredibly powerful book. Is it something that you feel like you're um you you've had to relearn how to focus and how to be um how to be present because it's something that I really struggle with to be honest.
1: Yeah, look, I I go through phases around that and it's really interesting. I think, you know, I think when we're really our brains are really here, yeah. there and everywhere. Which our brains are. And then we add technology, we add social media, but we also add, add habits. And, yeah. you know, so I know that grabbing my phone and just having a flick through something, I might go, oh, I'll just check my mail or I just check LinkedIn or really? I just check, you know, and I just go, what are you doing? You're just procrastinating away from. So, my, I've got, you know, how, you know, that the, I love and have done for many years the idea of uh, what's my word for the year. Yeah. Last year it was wonder. This year it is deep presence. Okay. And, I am wanting to unlearn the stuff that is taking me away from a lot of things, deep presence around, you know, us being here right now and focused just on this conversation, uh, me having deep presence around my thinking and mm. what I'm trying to do to help people out in the world, deep presence in all of my relationships. Yeah. Um, and it it is hard because we have so many distractions and there is a lot of stuff I look at myself and I just catch myself and go, gee, look at that. You just went. And I mean, I've just always been distractible. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm, you know, I, I like looking at different things. And then I go, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. And that's why I find audiobooks so weird. I find it funny when people say, oh, I've been listening to your audiobook. Because I listen to audiobooks and I hear something that might be being said. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking about something and three chapters have gone past and I've missed totally. it and I'm, you know, so um, I'm really easily distract, easily distractible, yeah. and so yeah. this year is about like let's let me be a little bit zen around just being right there. Which was my other book that I, which yeah. I read year more years ago that really made an impact too. Was is a beautiful book uh, called Living Beautifully by Pema yeah. Chodron, who's a yeah. Buddhist nun, and uh, you know, there's so many of the Buddhist philosophies that I love. And um, that book also was really nice to just sit in it and just to read it and to reflect. Um, So both of those, even though they're written so differently, but they really, both of them brought me back to, I don't know, the core principles of life, I suppose.
0: Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Do you, I mean, practically what does that look like in your life? Do you have um, times that you are adjust with your family that are dedicated to Uh, and that were dedicated to working or what does that practically look like or what would you like it to look like?
1: Yeah I've had something I have worked at over the years because I can have a tendency to be very work focused if I'm not careful it sort of comes from a and a great upbringing but an upbringing where you know my dad ran a, a really uh, the, the start of electronic security so he was very big in building that as a in the that industry he worked a lot I used to go and work with him to spend time with him uh, so that's that work ethic is really built into me but I have really had to learn to to go actually know especially running my own practice where I've got my office in my house <laughs> um, of of making that break and I think as educators you know we're we're how many of us, you know, when we're teaching, you teach all day, you go home and then you do some more stuff at night. There's not very many that don't do yeah. that work, do is there? So I've become more mindful over the years of what do I need to do for myself and my family to hold myself around that? So how do I come in, change my clothes, you know, before I go and hang out with the family, just do yeah. a little anchoring, put on music, put on different music before I get home that changes my state so that yeah. when I walk in the room, in the, uh, in the house my family's not getting my drinks you know so I think that's what we often do in education is we pump out all this energy at, at work yeah. then we come home and we're lucky if our family sort of gets this grunt out of us because we've just so this this is you know for, for me this is around how do we lead ourselves it, the learning for me over the years is how do we put self-care yeah. not in a bucket over there and say oh it's time for my self-care it's time for my well-being actually no it's a core core component of me being a whole person is to actually put that up the put that up the picking order really
0: yeah absolutely I I had a conversation recently with um the wonderful Amy Green who talks a lot about well-being um Mm -hmm. and it was a a conversation that really made me sort of stop and reconsider um Mm -hmm. a number of things And, and and I think um as an educator like it's so easy for our worlds to be consumed by what we do I mean I walk around Kmart and I think of all the lessons and all the things that I could do as opposed to buy my kids swimming costumes and like it's it's really really difficult so that's something that which I really really struggle with and um, a book that I recently read I don't know if you um, have read it is uh 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman
1: yes I have it I've just ordered it because I've been hearing great things about
0: it oh my goodness like it is uh terrifying and beautiful and emotive and motivating and it is a I think stolen focus and 4,000 weeks should be essential readings for mm-hmm. everyone um it's, and so it's
1: based on the premise isn't it of that we have 4,000 weeks in our life and what do we correct. want to do with? Yeah. It? It like yeah
0: yeah and and the whole idea of we um I mean, the, the title sounds really pessimistic, like, oh, my gosh, like, that's nothing. But it's actually an incredibly inspiring and motivating book to actually focus on the things that are important um, because yeah. I'm uh, in my late 30s now. And so I've probably used about 2,000 of those weeks or just less than. Um, yeah. And it yeah. makes you it really makes you think. Um, and so that's I'm really glad that you uh, have ordered that book. And I look forward to Yeah. I look forward to hearing. And, and you
1: know, I really, I, I, I sort of hang out with people where we talk quite a bit about how do we do life by design. Yeah. So rather than you know, you know, running my own practice, it can be you, you're not in with a bunch of people like you are when you're in a school. You know, that's why I like hanging out at schools. You know, the last two weeks, school starts in different states of Australia have been brilliant to be able to just go and hang out with, with Absolutely. teachers and and yeah. and just be in that space. But I don't have that, so I've got this group of colleagues that we learn together and we play together and we elevate each other's thinking, you know, we challenge each other's thinking. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about in that um, is life by design, you know, what is it we want our lives to be and how do we get a bit rigorous around starting to design it so it's such. So and it's it's taken me a few years to get better at it, but I certainly am far better at, at yeah. really visualizing what do i want it to look like and what do i need to do to actually turn it into that
0: well i'm um firstly i'm really grateful that you said yes to have a conversation with me mm-hmm. um, but I've, i'm also wondering how do you how do you decide what to say yes to i mean you obviously have a limited amount of time um mm-hmm. we'll talk about your book and your work shortly you've got a family i'm sure there's a lot of things happening so how have you uh, learnt to recognise when you should say yes or when you should pass mm-hmm. on certain opportunities? Because I really struggle when you have, when all the options are good options. I find yeah. it difficult to know which one to do. But, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: That is that is tricky when all the options are good options. Uh, and I think that's when we've got to trust our gut around yeah. things and we do have to feel sad about letting some stuff go. But, um, you know, that I think... I know that I do. I do a major course, women in leadership course for doctors and surgeons and medical academics, and it is core to who, what I believe is so important for our health system to be yes. able to function. And I do do a bit of work in health, but the most of my work is, of course, in education. And for me, it is the same sort of driver around that is, um, I say yes to people and organisations that I can see are absolutely committed to making the world a better place. Yeah. And, and so yeah. And and so I know that what you're doing with this podcast is making a difference to people listening. Uh you you might you might make a, a difference to the way someone walks in and teaches 25 children tomorrow, or the way they go in and they love their family tomorrow or tonight. And uh and the way that they go and they go, I'm gonna think differently to actually continue Amazing. to grow the quality of what I do and if I can especially when I work with leaders in schools if I I really search for or try to gauge what's their appetite for being willing to be open to this work yeah. and then I'm there because if they're willing then Amazing. I'm there to, to give them a hand you know yeah. uh, I'll try whatever I can to to be there to support them.
0: Amazing and so um if somebody asks you, what do you do? Uh how do you mm-hmm. how do you respond to that question? Your life sounds yeah, that's, endlessly yeah. fascinating. So how would you respond to that?
1: It's a really tricky one, isn't it? You know, my mum, I've been yeah. doing this work now for 17 years, and she still finds it hard to just what does Tracy do? She goes, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> um so you know, from from a very basic space around say ferocious warmth leadership, which is, you know, my main leadership approach, it is that I help leaders to be able to balance their head and their heart. Um and the other thing that I really am very passionate about doing is I help people thrive and create learning cultures together. Yeah. So those yeah. are the two big pieces of work. And yes, I do it via speaking, I do it by writing, I do it by facilitating and educating. Um, Coaching and mentoring, you know, they're the modes in which I might do it. But the outcome is I I want to help leaders to be the very best they can so they can create that thriving, thriving culture that we need innovation, we need connection, we need people to feel that they're making a difference and they're, they're able to take risks, you know, yeah. and and create the very best education they can from any student that they might have come into, into contact with.
0: Yeah, how, how do you think, um, Tracy? The the notion of leadership has changed because when I think back, even into my early career, or even the um, the, the, the the school leaders that I interacted with when I was at school, um, they didn't seem um, particularly warm or compassionate, or be lead, to be leading from the heart. So, how do you think leadership's changed? And um, uh, how can we? Uh, sorry, how would you define leadership in this sort of in this modern kind of era?
1: Mm. Uh, excuse me uh, you know we know that you know the old paradigm used to be a really mi- military paradigm you know yeah. that this is what the hero leader does and yeah. Uh, yeah. and you know superman superwoman coming in and swooping in um, uh, directing left right and center now we need sometimes to be super people absolutely uh, but to do that as um, a style of leadership just creates that environment where, you know, that person goes and everyone falls in a heap yeah. uh, because what hasn't happened is the building of the capacity of people to be able to make good decisions that come from the head and from the heart. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, what what do we need in the world now? You know, absolutely people need more compassion and empathy, don't they? You know, we've been through a really rough time out Kids have been through a really rough time. Um, actually, holding the space and um, sending out a bit more love doesn't mean that standards fall. Now, you know, and I think what we used to be so frightened of is if we let if we let things fall, then everything falls down the drain. You no, know, rather than going, actually, okay, let's empower people. Let's inspire people to come on the journey with us. You know, when we have to instigate change, which We have to do all the time because especially now the education paradigm is just flipping its wheels so quickly now that if we stay in status quo and just go, we're going to do it the way we've always done it, we're doing all our students a disservice. So to create an environment where people feel that they are safe enough around me as a leader to be able to say where they're challenged, be vulnerable about their learning to do that collectively as a collective, I call it col- um, the collective growth mindset, not the individual, but the collective growth mindset. Um, I have to be a leader that can actually see people and value people. Yeah. Um, that would be probably the biggest thing that I hear from people over the years. When, when people say I've had leadership that's been great, I've had leadership that's not been great. The thing that's missing for most people is in the not great ones is I never felt really seen or really valued by that person now we're just not going to be our best when that is the leadership that we've got when it's just when it's um disconnected from who we are you know I call it that professional intimacy where we're connected professionally with the cognitive with the logical with the strategic but we're also really connected uh with empathy compassion I see you as a human being I see you first as a human being you know and when we have that, when we have that in our leaders, you can see it in the relationship with the students, and that's, mm. you know, I, I, you know, I so t- picked fine. where my my two kids were going to go to school <laughs> based on the humanness of the principal because I could see his humanness with his staff as well, and I knew that they would be able to create a really strong, thriving, connected learning culture together. To do that collective work that was good for all the students in that community. Yeah. Um, you know, relationships matter, and that's the shift. I probably have been very rambling in that answer. Sorry. Yeah, I,
0: I, I think, Tracy, it's really important and it's so refreshing and and so wonderful to hear um, the importance of both. Um, because mm-hmm. I um I remember very early on in my leadership career, I'd, I was a little bit scared to to be vulnerable with people. And I I tried to at least project this persona that I had it all together. And it only took five minutes to realize he's got no idea what's going on. And so like, I I, I look back on those times and think, wow, like I, I did that probably out of a deep sense of insecurity, but also wanting to, I had an image of what I thought a strong leader was, and that was this sort of charger over the hill and and I think um and not awesome. that I did I didn't do anybody any damage, but I'll look back at that time and go, yeah. it wouldn't have hurt just to take stock and say, look, guys, I'm I'm new to this, let's do this together. Um it's That's yeah. it.
1: And this is complex. But how do... And I love leaders who sorry.
0: Yeah, no, please continue.
1: Well, was just, I was just—I love leaders who have been doing it a long time, and they still say that because, you know, one of my mantras for leadership is—you know—always be a leader who's a learner, who is learning, not one yeah. who's learnt. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I think to say the same questions, uh, same statement, saying, "I really let's let's really put our heads together around this because this is complex." That's actually good collaborative, distributive leadership because what we're doing is I might have some ideas around this, but let's tap into the collective genius. Like when you look at any school staff, look at the collective wisdom that's in that place. Now, and if we create a culture where we're always striving to never arrive, we're always striving for improvement, we're always striving to um, be able to match the complexity of the world in which our students are living and we are living, that we're creating that ongoing culture, then our job really is to be able to create capacity in people to have that voice. So, you yeah. know, how do you how do you get people having a voice yeah. and it being about the good of the school, the good of the students. Yeah. Um, and too often, I think we forget that and it we make the conversations almost for it's for the good of me. <laughs> yeah. And so
0: where do you think this, for you personally, this drive to really understand leadership has come from? Did you have a great experience in leadership? Did you have a challenging experience? Did you encounter all different types of personalities or where do you think this like i said this drive for you um comes from um because i think a lot of people would just notice something and go oh what's it's 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 too big for me to address but in your book ferocious warmth you've gone at it head on so yeah where does that motivation come from for you
1: Uh, well i think if i like go backwards by design (laughs) um you know the last 17 years of running my practice i've worked with you know thousands of leaders by now and i and i've always been a patent detector so i've always I didn't realize I was a patent detector you know till about 10 years ago when I went oh that's you got a really good pattern uh around you know the the three um the three pillars of a learning culture which is you know our collective growth mindset the compelling environment we create together and the authentic dialogue we have and I kept on going bing 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 I can see that I can see that I can see that and then um uh and then watching great leaders and you know ferocious warmth popped for me just seeing a couple of leaders that all of a sudden i can remember going clunk 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 clunk, clunk. um seeing a couple of leaders in action and seeing them beautifully nurturing people to lift to lift nurturing people to lift they had this heart that connected Thanks. them to those people but they made it so that people went yes i'm with you and i it's hard but let's do it together so all of a sudden it went clunk. But it also came from, yes, I you know, I had great leaders in schools, you know. Um, uh, I was really lucky to have leaders that saw that relationships were really important. Um, you know, years ago, my, one of my very first leaders was um, Marjorie Evans, who then became, you know, years later the CEO of um, AITSOR, the first CEO of AITSOR. She was my principal in her first year, and I saw all, firsthand someone who was a great innate leader, but she was a first-time principal and she was also a great learner as well. So she was reflective. And so I had good exemplars. I worked out in the automotive industry as part of a teacher release to industry program in the the 90s. Um, So I'm really dating myself there. And I was in there with the automotive training board when we were trying to get, um, you know, competency training packages, which we take for granted now. But back then, there was no consistency around Australia. So I saw firsthand the argy-bargy between states fighting around who's going to win or how do we actually come together and collaborate to make this work. And it was hard work. So I saw the leadership around that. I worked for a while in a fine dining restaurant and was able to lead in that space. Uh, And that was great to see how that worked in um, another sort of environment. Um, In my my teaching, I was, um, you know, my last role was assistant principal. I loved that role. I loved the school I was in, Oakley Primary down here in Melbourne. Um, And it was a very very cohesive staff where everyone had a voice so right. it was a, a little bit around how do we actually make decisions and not get stuck uh so that's a little bit around you know that ferocious warmth comes in where we can just sit around and talk around a whole lot of stuff but actually that doesn't help forward momentum how do we have action as well and you know that uh, school was really brilliant to teach me so much around that um yeah. Uh, and and before that I'd always been a leader in music you know I was a flute player and I led the flute section like used to conduct bands and right. then I was a conductor in schools so that and I that came from primary school you know I was taught music very early I played a lot of music I led a lot of music groups so I think it was just innate and I know that I was labeled back then bossy you know okay. uh, Trace's bossy <laughs> or my girlfriend's my best friend you know I've known her since we were five and uh And, uh, you know, back then, actually having strong independent thinking, um, you were labelled back then. But, you know.
0: Isn't it interesting, Tracy? as I mentioned before we um, hit record, I've got two very strong uh, independent girls and I'm very proud to be a girl dad. But um, I wonder if the label bossy would have been used for a strong male leader or if he would have been just um, told that he was decisive. I find that really. um, that's it. Really upset no, people uh, that's different standards.
1: Oh, absolutely. And any women that are listening <laughs> uh, will absolutely know that they have, you know, had labels that are not useful around that. But at the same time, it also helped me. I had a brilliant um, teacher. She was, you know, a really old-style teacher when I look at it, you know, uh, pedagogically. Uh, but she, um, she'd gone travelling up into... The middle of Australia. She was um, in her combi. Uh, she was a single woman all her life. And she um, worked really deeply and learned a lot from First Nations people. And we would learn from her every year. So grade two, three, and four. Uh, and I caught up with her again in her 90s and we sort of stayed in contact. She passed away a couple of years ago. But I realized how much I learned from her about being a strong independent women, woman who could have opinions, because she did. Um, and I think some of my journey was really, then how do I make sure I balance that listening, st- like like shut up, Tracy, <laughs> like, hang on, other people have got great ideas, other yeah. people, you know, not to be, I call them the uh, us the enlighteners, you know, not to enlighten. Um, what is it that other people think?
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: Did you what what for you? You went into leadership. Did you?
0: Yeah, like um, yeah. I, I, I a think face I... of knowing. Yeah, look, I think but to me being married has also probably taught me more about um, leadership than um, than probably yeah. my job. and Not maybe leadership, but just listening, you know, and like mm-hmm. keeping my mouth shut sometimes and, and actually mm-hmm. taking the time to say, to think what's really going on here. Like we may be, my wife and I had a particularly busy week this week and um, we just didn't get to check in and touch base and we were getting annoyed and things were getting a bit niggly and like, I think for me, taking that time to stop and go, okay, this isn't the real issue, isn't the niggles. The real issue is maybe that this week you feel um like you're not a priority or you feel like we're we're both tired. And so taking that time just to stop and to think and be a little bit more self-aware, but to to answer your question in terms of my leadership, like I think um, I think just putting like a pause between when you have an idea and blurting it out, and I'm really trying yeah. it. To be um, directional, but also be the last person to speak, and and I have the incredible privilege of working in a, a a really a truly wonderful school with people that are far more competent and capable in so many areas that I am, and so I feel like my role as a as a leader is similarly to that sort of the music role that you talked about, that conductor. So making yes. sure that the conditions are right for safe and supportive working environments to make sure we're kind of nudging forward where we need to um I think I'm getting better at um prioritizing what's important and not sort of jumping in and solving problems before I allow allow people to do that because quite often the um the suggestions that people come up with are far better than mine um and so I'm trying really that, hard yeah I love hearing that you know yeah.
1: and um, that would that approach would be where the collaborative culture work that I've always yeah. done around the buzz and how do we have deep learning cultures absolutely came about from my realisations very early on around leadership being more about asking really good curious questions and bringing out the gold and having your own thoughts but seeing them as in being enriched by listening to people. And so I started off years ago doing a lot of strategy with schools. I still do some and with school systems. Uh, and and creating, facilitating process to tap into a school. So I have never found a school where we go in and we go, okay, where do we want to be? You know, when we do some visioning, but then to go, where do we see ourselves now? You know, and, and then go, okay, what is it we need to be working on? What are our strategies to be working on to move forward? I've never found a school that people might say to me, oh, it's going to be interesting to see what the conversations are. And those conversations are 100% brilliant conversations because Amazing. everyone in that room, even though there might be niggles culturally, when you ask the right questions that people are passionate about, about, okay, where is it we need to focus around this, people know and they just need, as you brilliantly said, they just need the conditions to be able to let their thinking go, have their, have a good debate Without the personal attacks, without the environment of um, excuses, mm. that it's an environment where we feel psychologically safe, and that for me, that's the learning culture work that I love doing because the wisdom is in the room. So, how do you think then,
0: uh, Tracy? We uh, sorry, is it possible to have those safe, supporting environments and still also have accountability and direction and measurable outcomes would you mind maybe unpacking a little bit of that because i think people that some people may think that as a leader you just have to have those ticker boxes to get done but is is it possible to do both
1: absolutely and that's the that's the basis of ferocious warmth is you know that that what we're aiming for is we're aiming for high challenge high support and if if you look at the definition of psychological safety let's take that for a moment because i think that it can be misunderstood so psychological safety is not about you know consensus it's not about low accountability it's not about everyone just feeling cushy and happy it's it's really well researched by people like Professor Amy Edmondson by Timothy Clark but you know there's brilliant people leading this work I love looking at their research and seeing what they're doing and and using that when I do work with people but um, you know the 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 highest level. So I love I use a lot of Timothy Clark's work. He's got a great book called The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. It's a small book, but it's a brilliant packs a punch book. And he talks about there being four levels, and the first one being inclusion, which really links to the professional intimacy approach that I have. That we see people's humanness before their worthiness. Yeah. And we just, we belong, we have a right to belong. And, you know, in some places, in some places I work with where, you know, we'll do a diagnostic and their culture will be really low, there are cliques, you know, there are people that hold power. There, mm. are, there are things that uh, mean that people don't feel included. Um, and, and so how do we make sure we don't do that? How do we get rid of that bias as much as we can and say we're all one? Um, so inclusion safety is the first. I feel I feel included. I feel that I belong. And we know that belonging is one of the first human needs in a group. So yeah. these really apply to students, don't they? I'm sure you can yeah. hear, you know, already.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. The next one's I feel safe to learn um, and ask curious questions. And then I feel safe to contribute. So the contributor safety is the next one. Being able to lead, being able to ask questions, to be able to contribute to the dialogue But it's that I also create. So psychological safety is a loop. It's not that I get it, but that I give it as well. And in some groups, that's forgotten in my experience, where we might have someone that is very good at contributing their voice and their thinking, but they do it in a way that actually shuts down other people's safety to do it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to say anything because the last time I said that, Tracy nearly bit my head off. Right. So, and Tracy says, you know, I've got a right to have a voice, but forgets that actually a person next to them. We haven't heard their voice for ages.
0: Absolutely. And um it's interesting, Tracy. When I um I read that in your book, I actually thought about my uh year four teacher, sorry, my year three teacher, Mrs. Taylor Jones. And I had the privilege of interviewing her a, a number of episodes ago and um At that time in my life, I remember we'd just been through a family separation. It was really challenging. And I remember walking into her classroom and feeling so connected, so involved, like I had something to contribute. And I remember when she talked to me, I felt like I mattered and I felt like the most important person in the room. And I know she did that for countless of students before me and after me. But to me, that was so incredibly powerful. And I have no idea what this lady taught me in her class. It must have had something to do with um area or how to write a procedure or something. <laughs> I, I remember, I you. Yeah, but I, I remember how she made me feel and it made me think about all of the great leaders I've had the privilege of working with and also the leaders that were still were not quite ferociously warmth maybe just more ferocious um yes. and I remember how these people made me feel and and um I I, I think do you agree that we we remember how each other make us makes us feel and how important that is to have that connection absolutely
1: you know it's one of my favorite quotes from um Maya Angelou is yes. is that quote around how we feel and when whenever we uh whenever I ask people to just leaders to just get up and talk to each other around what is it that has been the things that that the the leaders that have brought out the best of you have done it'll always be always be around the they saw me they stretched me they they expected things of me they helped me to see the best in me they cared for me uh that for me is ferocious and if we go back to that accountability piece it was also that they believed I could do more than I thought I could myself, you know, and that's, you know, and I can see your face going, yeah, that, yeah. that's well, what I, you've I,
0: experienced. I, I'm just thinking about my current principal. She is that leader for me because um, you need someone that, that that sees you further along the track than you are. You need mm-hmm. somebody that supports you, that believes in you, that speaks mm-hmm. into what could be and, um she has been a truly transformative leader and I counted a blessing every day that I get to go to work I still I still can't believe I I get yeah. to do this so
1: when the tough conversations have to happen she will absolutely have them absolutely. but there will be underneath or wrapped around it I call it a Maltese right you yeah. you've got the you've got the tough stuff that you've got to do but wrapped around it is this this chocolate of caring and I, I see you and I value you. And this is an important conversation that I don't forget that you are bringing, trying to bring the very best of yourself to this conversation. Yeah. And I'm going to treat you with respect and professionalism, even when we're having this tough conversation. And I think it's the having the more difficult conversation where people with that accountability and that warmth, that ferocious warmth, come into their own because they're able to bring it together in such artfulness that. You Go that, that 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 conversation was hard, but I I yeah. come away not feeling less than. I think that's my that's the mantra around conversations. I think we should have no one should feel less than because Man. of the conversation we've had.
0: I'll um I'll introduce you to her on Twitter as uh, she That'll will uh, lose That'll her mind. Uh, that yeah. I'm talking That'll to, um, I, I do want to read a um a, a quote from your book, Trace It's from chapter two. Um, uh-huh. the, the title is Ferocious Warmth. Um, mm-hmm. and it says I want to share with you the elation I feel when I discover a ferocious warmth leader. I mm. can spot them from a hundred paces. I can feel their passion. What does a ferocious warmth leader look like, sound like? How do you know when you've seen one?
1: Um there's an there's an absolute energy around yeah. them. So yeah you can tell that they love 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 what they do so love is an important part of ferocious uh, persona uh they're not afraid to say that they love their students they love the work that they do that they um uh they they bring and they bring that passion with them you can see that energy bounce off other people right so i want to one of the things that I'll often explore with people is how emotions are contagious so you know what's the impact of a person when they walk into a room amazing yeah and a ferocious warmth leader when they walk into a room even when you know there there will not be this um this wall goes up you know with some pla- places you you can feel that around the left you know people don't have eye contact you know there's this there's this connection. But at the same time, I saw it happen brilliantly yesterday. So I was with a brilliant, ferocious uh, world leader, Sally Laslett from, um, from Hester Hornbroke Academy in Melbourne, and they are part of Melbourne City Mission, but they're a school in their own right. And they they provide school for some of the most disenfranchised students that you'll wow. find, um, homeless um, youth, um, young parents with babies, uh, ones that are the youth, in the youth justice system, and... You know, yesterday we did this beautiful journey mapping where everyone told the story. Now they have grown from about five people in 2014 with no funding to now 120 staff and four campuses and expanding. And what they do there is innovative relationship-building learning. So they are a school. And I heard Sally, and she's just got this beautiful, ferocious warmth uh, approach for her where she builds relationships. But she is absolutely ferocious about the fact that we are a learning organisation so it's not a drop-in centre for kids just to come and have a good time it is a place for them to come and feel safe nice. to learn and to get the skills that they need to survive and thrive in life and she doesn't let that go so you know she'll she um they'll have great fun they've got a great culture and it's such a positive place but she is always with her leadership team and with her whole staff going, how do we continue to iterate? How do we continue to move? And that's what I see. There's this artfulness about being able to say, we're connected, how important we all are, how important each individual is and their uniqueness. And what is it we're here to do? Let's do it together.
0: Amazing. Um, I'm sure your work working with ferocious warmth leaders um, across the yeah. country is endlessly inspiring um do you feel like you learn more from these incredible leaders than um yeah
1: absolutely i mean that's where the patterns come from that's where the book came from you know and i know you've you know you've had a look at the book and there's a lot of stories in there i i interviewed a lot of people when i was writing it but i've also had the pleasure of just as i said i I see them and i spot them and i can i I listen for the language because i i do believe at the quality of our culture we find in the quality of the language and the quality of the conversations. Is there great listening? Is there great? Do we frame things? You know, um, you know, when we when we think about change, what why some of the reasons that change bombs is that we haven't given people an opportunity to be inspired around the frame of the change and why it's important, you know, and tapping into usually the the need for the change to be around the students. Um and the outcome for the students and so we forget about about that whereas um when when we're able to when we're able to have language that actually gets people going and thinking differently but feeling included and having voice around that it's like a perfect storm that that just gets that roll on going so i've, I've just yeah i've been incredibly um incredibly fortunate to talk and unpack with a lot of people and, and also to unpack with people who are really trying, you know, the, the whole infinity symbol of ferocious warmth. It's an infinity symbol for those people listening, you know, yes. this idea of energy moving from the head and the heart and contextually knowing that you have to blend them, but sometimes you need more of one and then more of the other. And and, and so, you know, uh, for a lot of leaders that I've worked with, what they've done is the simplicity of that, because that's only the top level of the, the whole model, But even just the simplicity of just going, yeah, I tend to go very head. I tend to go very results driven. Um, And am I aware of my impact? And where do I need to actually bring in a little bit more empathy here? Where do I need to bring in a bit more compassion? Where do I need to stop and just listen to where people are? Uh, Or where am I going very heart driven? And I'm getting caught up in all the emotions and all that sort of thing. I need to stop. I need to just draw from, from my cognitive side and just go, okay, what's my objective here? What am I trying to achieve? And so people are really, I find people say to me, it's just that recalibration, you know, and as Dr. Bryony Scott, who I love, is just a brilliant, ferocious warmth leader, principal of Winona, now president of ACEL, the Australian Council of Education Leaders. But, you know, I have a quote of hers in the book around, you know, it's like recalibration. It's like being on a boat and just having to shift to make sure you're on course all the time. And it's rocky and you never quite know whether you're going the right direction, but you've got yep. to trust that you've got the ability to rejig the direction.
0: Amazing, um, Tracy. You sound you sound like someone who is endlessly passionate and endlessly curious. How do we how do we keep that? Because I see so many people mm-hmm. as they progress in their career or gain more and more experience that they kind of become a bit sort of bitter and stuck and stagnant I mean, how do you keep your excitement and your passion for your job because unfortunately most people can't see how excited you're getting as we're having this conversation <laughs> i could probably hear it <laughs> yeah but, i mean how personally how do you do that what do you do to um, maintain that in your life
1: hmm
0: and you just crash I I like, well, I,
1: well, I, <laughs> well you've got to manage energy so yeah. um one of the things when i work with when I work with organisations, whether it's schools or teams or whatever, we often will start off by doing what I call finding our joy bubbles. Yeah, so, um, you know, what are the little moments of joy that might have happened today or might have happened last week? And then we talk about the fact that actually that what that is doing is it's beautiful for our heart, but it's actually priming our brain mm. uh, because the prefrontal cortex is getting these beautiful Um, chemicals of hits of joy and oxytocin and and the things that help us to connect more as human beings and I think we you know we're cultural architects we're also chem we're chemists we're emotional chemists yeah and and so how do we do that like if everyone's been teaching all day how do you actually create um if you've got a meeting in the afternoon that it's a a meeting that's on purpose but it's also got some joy in it that it's got some fun that it's you know that it's got stuff that reminds us of the beauty of what we're doing exactly. because there is so much beauty in every classroom. And I am really sad, I think, for teachers and their students if they've moved in leaders, if they've moved into that bitter space. And mm-hmm. I, I think our role is not to see our well-being as a well-being bucket. And I know you had Amy on last time uh, in your podcast; It was great to ever listen to her. She's got so many great ideas. There's so much around well-being. Um, but I always say, especially you know, when I work with leaders around staying in balance. But I think it goes for everyone that we've got to we've got to see it that it's a leadership behaviour uh, to actually do self care and self compassion. Uh, and at the same time, how do we push ourselves to be learners? How are we going out and learning how to play the bassoon you know how are we learning how to go on tap dance or salsa um where is it that we're doing stuff for ourselves that's about taking ourselves out and just having fun you know having fun
0: i think that's so important i mean one of the things that we do as a family every night and i I really related when you were talking about joy bubbles and about Mm -hmm. creating these moments in your book um is we sit around the table, we look at each other in the eye and we talk about what our favourite thing is from that day. And so yeah. I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old and my three-year-old is always chicken nuggets or having dinner with my family. And it's always the same, which is which yeah. is lovely, but we're very conscious um, because we take the time to... Uh, reflect on the day to connect as a family. And that's just been one of those little things that um, has really made a difference um in our family. and I thank you so much for drawing attention to that. It's quite often those little things mm. that are really meaningful. and I, and I th- I look at like how my kids smile when we talk about that. it's it's, really it's beautiful. Wonderful. I, I do that in my um I did that last year in my class as well. like would sit around and say, what's something which you're really proud of today or what's something which you learned or you're excited to tell the parents and okay. amidst amongst that chaos we've got to find these little moments where we celebrate the wins um Absolutely. and measure that and I think sometimes in schools we we measure and we measure and we quantify and we do all this stuff but a lot of the work that that you talk about is sometimes these these things that you you, you can't measure it's these skills yeah. that are so essential and. Um, yeah, I, I, it's it's incredibly it's important. The small yeah, these it? it's small the small moments are moment. careful; they're they're fleeting and they can pass. And absolutely,
1: um, the, so- the other one that goes with the joy, if yeah. I can pop that in also yes. that helps. I think is curiosity. So absolutely. it goes with the learner stuff that says, "Well, what am I curious about?" And to be honest, I get quite sometimes dismayed by the lack of curiosity in us as educators absolutely and and I think we have to get better at it we have to go what are we curious about when it comes to our literacy program what are we curious about around how we're teaching this science unit in our year eight science yeah. uh, program um I so what I I will often do is I will at the start of a maybe a workshop I will So Okay, so we've got the day here together to maybe really, you know, really focus on the beginning of this leadership journey we're doing. You know the context of your, your school, you know the context of where you're at. And we might do some work around, you know, context first. But then I'll say, okay, I want you to go away and I want you to come back in a couple of minutes' time with a curious question for the rest of the team. And it might be a how do we or where should we or whatever it might be. Um, because I think we need to be more curious about what's our what's our impact. So what is it we need to think differently about to make sure that we keep this going, that we keep on yeah. e- evaluating, e- innovating, whatever it might be. So joy and curiosity for me go really together and from a neuroscience p- perspective, you know, the curiosity sparks when we've yeah. got this information gap and we want to seek more. I think sometimes we sit and we don't think we've got an information gap.
0: Yeah. So what do you You think, is it just because teachers are busy and they're just trying to get through the day? What Do you think we don't take the time to stop and think and ask those questions?
1: I think that can be part of it, but I also think we can use that as an excuse because I've seen very, very full-life teachers who are curious they're curious about what their colleagues do so how do you you know tell me how you approach that um they're curious about what's happening out in education they they you know they they keep their minds open to what's going on outside so it's it's not like no one does it uh for sure possible yeah yeah absolutely possible but I, i sometimes i just what i look out for is are people interested in each other amazing you know, just I I find it really interesting sometimes where people won't, won't ask another person a really sitting next to them an interesting question about themselves. They'll just tell. So how do we get more curious about each other is a really good start for a trusting culture anyway. Um, you know, I love doing those connection things where we actually find weird and obscure things about each other out and we're happy to share them. Um, but, you know, just I think we're... We, and yes, it can be self-preservation. Yes, it can be, I'm so tired I haven't got I haven't got the um the energy to do it. But what I've found in my life is that curiosity actually brings me energy. Absolutely. I and find all these great stories.
0: yeah. and and I think like I'd love you to spend a little bit of time if you don't mind um unpacking deep collaboration. And it seems like um curiosity is such an important part of that actually asking questions actually building that psychological safety and that trust and would you mind maybe spending a few moments talking about what deep collaboration means and why is it so important when we're considering ferocious forms well
1: um so so to circle back to the the psychological safety the top level um of psychological safety is the challenger safety and That to me is when we're really thriving in our collaborative culture. So, um, in all the schools that have uh, done the diagnostic, I've had over almost twelve thousand educators yes. do it. There's there's a small amount of schools that sit right at the top, which I call committed collaboration, and where that is really high is that we see ourselves as a collective. So, as a school, we see ourselves as a learning collective to improve teaching and learning, right, and, and, and well being, all those things that sit under teaching and learning. Um, so the challenge of safety is it feels safe, it is safe here to challenge the status quo. And so deep collaboration is a willingness to step into and right. co-create a new future together. Right. And so to do that, we have to enter in with a, a very healthy respect for perspective. Yeah. for a very healthy perspective, um respect for that people at all levels of the, you know the we flatten the hierarchy when we have deep collaboration. And okay. so what happens is you know if you're sitting down, you've got people that are on the ground absolutely doing the work every day, no one's voice counts more in deep collaboration because everyone's thinking is really needed. Now, that might not mean that the decision is made at that point in time because deep collaboration can be quite a full-on process um, and it might need to be funnelled, but that deep collaboration requires us to scan everything, you know. What what do we know? What's the evidence? Um, what, what What is the data telling us? What is the best practice? But then what do we believe? What do we think? What are our perspectives? What do we know? And deeply listening to each other, and then exploring that. And you know, we've got so many protocols we can use: think pair shares, a an easy one, a SWOT analysis. I love the notice and wonder protocol. Um, what are three noticings everyone's got? Then what are three wonderings? And now let's explore that. You know, um, we've got all these things, and at the basis of it is how much psychological safety and trust is in the room to be able to go to really challenging spaces together. And do it as a collective, and do it um with the spirit of this is for it, the collective to continue to make the impact we need on the students.
0: Tracy, it's so refreshing um speaking to you, and i I, I honestly, I could talk um for hours, and I encourage people out there, please get the book. um I, I'm not just saying this. It's one of those leadership books that has, um I truly changed the way that i lead and i'm so incredibly grateful that you poured your heart out in this book and you got it out into the world i i like i said i do mm-hmm. want to be respectful of your time so just a couple more short questions if you don't mind mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. imagine we were sitting down uh having a latte um and i was a uh, and i'm a brand new teacher and i'm about to enter a school for the first time uh, what advice uh would you give me
1: Oh, that's such a good one. Um, I would say don't be afraid to bring yourself. Amazing. That great cultures appreciate the diversity and the uniqueness of everyone that comes into a place. Um, I would also encourage you, to ask questions of people are, uh, around, and, you know, and I think it's people going, "Oh, what if I ask too many questions?" Um, but to go, "I'm really, I'm really interested in what you just said there, or can you tell me more about that?" And and I would really encourage you to be brave, because I think we need more bravery, um, and and don't be shy to share your thoughts. Right. Um, but I think we, if we do it with humility, then people don't think we're, an, you know, an arrogant new teacher or anything like that. But we say, I've got um, an, an insight here that I'd really like to, to share if, um, you know, because in some places the whole you, you're new, you don't get to say anything for the first five years. You know, hopefully we've got rid of that. Uh, but it's still there. But, you know, what we can do best is build relationships by bringing our best selves and, and you know, just being amazingly curious about this great new environment that you're in.
0: Amazing. And would you add in a thing, if you were sitting down having a coffee with me um, and I was just about to become a school principal for the first time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd say go and listen and sit down with every person in that school and spend time getting to know them and hearing their context and okay. hearing what They would shift. What do they love about the place? What would they see differently? Get to know everyone, get to know the history, get to know the story. Um, And and at that time, people will see that you value and you're listening. It doesn't mean you can't bring your vision in, but it means that what you do is you put into your melting pot a whole range of insights that you wouldn't have gotten unless you spent that time.
0: So slow down, walk the halls, connect with people. Go and hang
1: out, hang yeah. out. Don't go and spend time in your office. I know it's really hard because it's, especially when you're a new principal, you know, learning the ropes of all that, but relationships, relationships,
0: relationships. Fascinating. Mm. Tracy, um, what do you hope your legacy will be? I know that's a very existential question. Um, mm. What would you like to see um, achieved with your amazing work with Ferocious Warmth?
1: Uh I just hope that it makes a difference for people, that they're able to treat themselves with kindness around their leadership and and understand that it is messy and we do stuff up and it's okay to stuff up if we're continually looking at how do we bring our best selves. And so I just hope that if there's, you know, any leaders out there that go, here's a framework that actually just helps me to recalibrate to be my best bring my best self but be my best self for myself for my family and for those that I lead and my community then if if I can help just anyone do that then yeah. I I would be great I'd be very grateful for that legacy
0: and what are you um currently curious about what has your attention it could be professionally it could be personally it's completely yeah. up to you how you define that
1: mm-hmm. yeah Curiously, personally, my two children, 19 and 21, are both overseas for a long term. So all of a sudden, um, I'm an empty nester. So I'm curious about what life and the rhythms of life will be. And professionally, I'm just fascinated with how we're going to step in and be um, excited about helping our students thrive in an environment where things like chat GPT and, uh, can uh can be either created as a great tool for them or seen as a far-off forbidden fruit, uh, which they're going to use anyway. So how how do how do we deal with this Amazing. and embrace it and explore it? I think that's that's what I'm curious about. And I'm having a great play around creating an AI um awesome. ferocious warmth conversation course at the moment. And that's been fun to be curious about too. Awesome. Hard. awesome.
0: I'm sure it has been. And, and Tracy, the final question where can people find out more about you and um, uh, get in touch?
1: Uh, well, you can always go on good old LinkedIn, Tracy Ezard, uh, yeah. Tracy with an E. Uh, you, uh, same for uh, Twitter, Tracy Ezard. My website is tracyezard.com. They're all nice and easy. Uh, if you put in ferocious warmth, it should come to me too. I also have a Buzz Academy, which is an online portal yeah. that's designed to help middle and senior leaders build their collaborative culture and so that's called that's called the buzz dot academy um and that's full of videos and resources so um yeah but i love connecting especially with um uh not especially just uh, linkedin is a really great platform i think for just seeing some really interesting thinking around um but i'm pretty easy to find i think so it's it's, yeah, it's, I,
0: it's there doesn't seem to be too many ezards i haven't come across uh, that many There's of, a
1: Tracy Azard yeah. over in England, uh, and we yeah. happen to be Facebook friends because he, her dad thought it was me once, uh, and uh, I get a fright every time something comes up saying that I've been yeah. doing something when it's not when it's her. Yeah. so it's well,
0: so yeah. It has been an incredible um, privilege to speak to you, and and I'm I'm truly grateful that you would uh, take the time out of your schedule to speak to me this afternoon, and um, I, I mean this. Your book has been uh, truly transformative and I'm so grateful that you would take the time and and I wish um more people could can have the opportunity sorry I hope that more people can have the opportunity to read this book because it would save a lot of heartache um <laughs> so I'd encourage anyone out there if they haven't read Ferocious Warmth please do um it's a it's a game changer so thank you so much for your time Tracy I I really appreciate you having a conversation with me today
1: Well, thanks, Matthew. It's been a privilege for me. So always a privilege to talk to great people like you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.